Welcome to Reading Between the Lines, the People's Friends story podcast in association with the Odd Fellows. Each episode, a few of us from the Friend team, along with some special guests, will delve into our archives to find a story to read, and then we'll all sit down for a wee chat about it. Make yourself a cup of tea, pull up a chair, and come join us. This episode, we're reading A Mysterious Elopement, which was first published anonymously in The People's Friend in September 1913. This story is narrated for us by Friend Features Editor Alex. Over to Alex. As he painfully extracted himself from the ditch, into which, for about the tenth time he had stumbled, Robert Radford realised that he was indeed lost. And realising this fact, he halted in the middle of a narrow track in which he found himself and rather ruefully surveyed the situation. Four hours previously, he had had the misfortune to miss his connection at the little wayside station of Green Hill and had been informed by an unsympathetic porter that there was not another train for five hours. In reply to further questioning, the porter vouchsafed the information that by walking across the moor to the junction, a distance of about four miles, he would be able to catch an express which would land him at his destination some hours sooner than the local. Having plenty of time at his disposal, Radford naturally decided to adopt this course. But he had not calculated on the mist which had blown across the moor shortly after he started and enveloped the whole landscape in a white mantle, completely obliterating the landmarks he had depended upon to guide him to his destination. Looking around, he endeavoured in vain to pierce the gloom. One thing was certain, he could not remain where he was, and the only alternative was to move forward, trusting to luck to guide him to some shelter, where he could find an asylum until the fog lifted sufficiently to enable him to reach his destination. With this object in view, he toiled slowly onward. At length, when he had almost abandoned hope of finding sanctuary and was beginning to reconcile himself to the prospect of spending the night on the moor, he stumbled against the wall, a sure indication he had emerged once more on the confines of civilization. The wall was a high one, too high to be climbed and apparently surrounded by a park or garden of some extent. Confident that by following it he must eventually reach a gate or lodge of some sort, he walked forward with renewed strength and in a few minutes he observed with satisfaction the dim outline of a building emerge from the gloom. A light glimmered in one of the windows, indicating that the house was inhabited. Approaching the door, he knocked loudly on the panel. As he did so, a window on the upper story was noiselessly thrown open, and a girl thrust her head out, exclaiming as she did so in an excited whisper, Why did you come here? All is discovered. Get away before you are seen. Before Radford could reply to the extraordinary and unexpected warning, the door opened, and an old man, holding a lighted candle in his hand, peered out. At the same time, the girl swiftly withdrew her head and closed the window. I beg your pardon, said Radford apologetically. I hope I have not disturbed you, but the fact is I have lost my way in this wretched fog, and if you can give me shelter till it clears, I will be very much obliged. The old man looked dubious for a moment and seemed about to return a curt answer but a hasty whisper from someone behind him caused him to change his tone. Certainly, certainly, he mumbled with a peculiar smile. Step inside. Radford followed him into the house and through a passage into the kitchen, 
which apparently also served as sitting room. As soon as he was inside, his conductor closed the door with a loud bang, and at the same time a deep voice exclaimed in tones of bitter triumph, You scoundrel! So we meet at last! The speaker, an elderly man of military appearance, stood on the hearthrug. In his hand he held a heavy riding crop, with which he was viciously slashing at his heel. The angry flush on his cheek betraying a desire to apply the weapon in another direction. Ah, you may well look surprised, he continued as Radford stood stock still with amazement. You villain, I have a good mind to thrash you to within an inch of your life, but I will not soil my hands on your filthy carcass. Berthing, seize hold of him and lock him up. Before Radford had time to utter one word of protest, he was caught from behind by the old man and after a futile struggle, dragged across the floor and thrust ignominiously into a dark room. Next moment, he heard a key turn in the lock and a derisive laugh from his captors. Groping his way in the darkness, he surveyed his prison. There was a window through which a faint gleam of light penetrated, but it was too narrow to admit of escape in that direction. The door was securely fastened. Realising the futility of attempting to force his way out, he sat down on an upturned box and ruefully considered the situation. This is getting interesting, he muttered whimsically. I wondered what house of mystery this is that I have landed in. Apparently the warning was well meant, if only I had had the sense to have taken advantage of it. Seems as if I had fallen into the hands of a pair of lunatics. However, I suppose I will get my way out of it somehow, and anyway, I am in no worse plight than if I had been compelled to wander about the moor all night. Consoling himself in this philosophic fashion, he leant his head against the wall and resigned himself to his fate. How long he remained in this position he did not know. Suddenly he was roused by hearing a scraping noise overhead. Looking up, he observed a trapdoor in the ceiling slowly rise. Presently, a lighted candle appeared in the opening, and the girl he had seen at the window peered down at him. Hush, she exclaimed in a warning whisper. Do not make a sound or we will be discovered. Can you climb? I am letting down a rope, and if you can manage to scramble up, you can easily reach the ground from this room. Make haste, there is not a moment to lose. As she spoke, she lowered a coil of rope, which fell softly by Radford's side. With a shrug of his shoulders, he rose to his feet. Altogether, the situation was too incomprehensible to fathom. One thing, however, was obvious. The mysterious young lady was willing to befriend him and was doing her best to extricate him from the trap into which he had unwittingly fallen. Undoubtedly, his best course was to take advantage of the means of escape that she was placing at his disposal. Afterwards, there would be time for explanations. Hauling the rope taut, he scrambled upwards and with a struggle succeeded in wriggling through the narrow trapdoor. The light was now extinguished and the room in which he found himself was in darkness. As he opened his lips to speak, a warning hush silenced him. Not a word, the girl whispered. Quiet, this way. Lower the rope from the window. There is still time, if you make haste. As she spoke, she caught him by the arm and literally dragged him to the open window. Now get down the rope as quickly as you can, she said when the rope had been lowered. I will follow. Radford obeyed the instructions and silently descended to the ground. A moment later, with surprising agility, the girl followed suit and stood by his side. By this time, the fog had in some measure cleared away, and the struggling moonbeams threw a faint light on the scene. What time is it? 
exclaimed the girl in an excited tone. Bradford drew out his watch and peered at the dial. It is 25 minutes past 12, he answered. Good. We will just manage to catch the quarter to one train by cycling to the station. Wait a minute until I fetch the bicycles. But oh, I forgot to tell you that the arrangements have all been changed. Everything has been discovered. Fortunately, Miss Violet got warning in time and she has gone to London. She had no opportunity of writing you, so she sent me to meet you and we are to join her in London. But there is no time to explain further. We must make haste. Before Radford, to whom the situation was becoming more inexplicable than ever, could demand a further explanation, she darted into an outlying shed, reappearing a minute later wheeling a couple of bicycles. At the same moment, a light appeared at the window of the chamber they had just quitted, and a man's head appeared. Peggy! he cried angrily. Peggy! Confound the girl! What is she up to? Oh, quick, quick! exclaimed the girl in alarm. That's my grandfather! In another instant, your escape will be discovered. There is not a moment to lose. Follow me. As she spoke, she passed one of the cycles to Radford and hastened to the gate. Reaching the highway, she sprang deftly to the saddle. Realising it was the only thing to be done, Radford followed suit. As he did so, a volley of fierce subjugations reached his ears, and looking round, he observed his captors rush from the house frantically, shaking their fists at him in impotent rage. Clear of the cottage, if Radford thought the time for further explanation was come, he was doomed to disappointment. For the pace set by his conductress was so fast that it was all he could do, pedalling as hard as he was able, to keep up with her, and any attempt at conversation was entirely out of the question. After ten minutes hard riding, they reached the top of the ascent. In the hollow beneath, about a mile further on, a solitary twinkling light indicated the railway station that was their goal. As they commenced the descent, the rumbling sound of a train was borne to their ears across the still air. Faster, faster, panted the girl. We can do it yet. The train was already drawn up at the platform as they dashed into the deserted space adjoining the booking office. Recklessly abandoning the bicycles to their fate, they rushed to the platform and as the guard sleepily waved his lamp, sprang into an empty third-class compartment. As the train was gliding out of the station, a porter suddenly thrust his head in at the window. Letter for you, miss. I was to give it to you most particular before you got in, but I hadn't a chance sooner. And as he spoke, he tossed a letter on the seat and dexterously stepped from the now fast-moving train to the platform. With a perplexed frown, the girl picked up the envelope and glanced at the superscription. Then she tore open the cover and drew out the letter. As she was thus engaged, Radford took advantage of the opportunity to survey her more closely than he had hitherto had the chance of doing. Despite her flushed and somewhat dishevelled condition, she was undeniably good-looking, and there was an undeniable charm about her which moved him strangely. Undoubtedly, the rather trying night he had experienced was not without its compensating advantages, he mused, when it secured for him the companionship of so fair a fellow traveller. The frown on the girl's face deepened as she read the letter. Suddenly, she put down the sheet and gazed at Radford with an expression of dismay and alarm. It's... it's all so inexplicable, she gasped. Are you not Captain Mannering? If not, who are you? Really, the last is a question I've been trying to get an opportunity to answer for the last two hours. I am certainly not Captain Mannering, nor have I the pleasure of knowing even of the existence of that gentleman. As a matter of fact, I am simply Robert Radford, a humble commercial traveller, 
whose misfortune it was to get lost in the fog, and who has been, in more senses than one, hopelessly befogged for some time. I knocked at the cottage door with the intention of seeking shelter for the night, only to find myself involved in a series of adventures more suggestive of the Arabian nights than of the ordinary humdrum existence of modern days. If it is not an impertinent question, may I ask an explanation of the circumstances which resulted in my finding myself here? To this explanation, the girl listened in silent amazement. Gradually, as the situation dawned on her, a faint smile broke over her face. What a horrible mix-up, she exclaimed. I cannot yet realise the blunder I have made. What must you think of it all? But there is no harm in telling you everything now. I will explain and you will understand how the mistake has happened. My name is Peggy Berthing, she continued, and I am companion to Miss Vernon of the Oaks. Miss Vernon became engaged to Captain Mannering, but Sir George would not hear of the marriage. Consequently, they decided to elope. It was arranged that Captain Mannering should come tonight and they should go off together. When the fog came down, Miss Vernon sent me to the lodge, which is occupied by my grandfather, to look out for the captain in case he should lose his way. When there, Sir George came in, and I learnt he had discovered what was on foot, and was also on the lookout. The rest you know. When you knocked at the door, we both concluded you were the captain, which counts for the treatment you received. From this letter, I learned for the first time the awful mistake we made. Captain Mannering found his way to the house all right, and Miss Vernon managed to escape. They reached the station safely, and travelled by an earlier train than they originally intended. In this letter, Miss Vernon tells me to return to the Oaks, and wait for her return from the honeymoon, when she will send for me. And, oh dear, she exclaimed, suddenly becoming grave, what am I to do? I cannot go back to the Oaks now. Sir George, you know how violent he is, he would almost kill me for the share I had in the elopement. My grandfather dare have nothing more to do with me, even if he wished. Oh dear, oh dear. And overcome with emotion, she buried her face in her hands and wept. In clumsy fashion, Bradford endeavoured to soothe her. Come, come, he said. Things are not as bad as you imagine. When we get to London, you can write Miss Vernon and explain what has happened. That is just what I cannot do, returned the girl. I do not know her address. All I know is they were to be married in the morning, and then going abroad for a couple of months. When they return, she will of course send for me, but till then, what am I to do? I have no home, no friends, and I have not a penny in the world. Without doubt it was an awkward predicament, and Radford, as he rubbed his hands in perplexity, sorrowfully reflected he was unwittingly responsible for it. If he had only frankly explained at the very beginning who he was, though he certainly had not much opportunity to do so, instead of allowing himself to be blindly led by fortune, the unfortunate contretemps would never have occurred. And yet, as he gazed at the figure opposite to him, he experienced a selfish joy in the very fact that it had occurred. There is only one thing to be done, he said slowly. But first, you have seen very little of me and know nothing beyond what I have told you. Can you trust me? She looked at him for a moment, wonderingly. I, I think so, she returned simply. Then what I propose is that you should come with me to my home. My mother, I am sure, will be delighted to receive you as a guest until such time as Miss Vernon, or rather Mrs. Mannering, as she will be then, returns, when you can then rejoin her. But I could not think of throwing myself on your charity in that fashion. 
Oh, it is not a question of charity at all. It is only a matter of making some reparation for the mischief I have done. Or, if you feel any scruples on the point, you could come as a paying guest, the score to be settled afterwards. In any case, you must come to us in the first place until you decide what to do. You will, won't you? I, I suppose so. There seems to be nothing else to be done. Many months have passed since the event above recorded occurred, but Peggy has not yet quitted the pretty little suburban cottage in which she found a haven of refuge. Instead, she is now installed as its mistress, and in the gloomy days of late autumn, when the chilly fog demon creeps out from the great city and throws his mantle around their home, she and her husband bear it with a tolerance surprising to those who do not know that to a fog they owe their great happiness. Reading Between the Lines is proud to be sponsored by Friendship Society The Oddfellows. We recently asked some members of The Oddfellows to call in and let us know what qualities they look for in a friend, and we're delighted to be able to share some of their answers. Hi, I'm Anne, an Oddfellows member from Flintshire. A friend is someone who is a good listener and always makes you smile. Hi, this is Alex. I'm an Oddfellows member from Somewhy. A friend should be someone you can have good fun with and laughs and jokes and, you know, wall away the hours and not have to work. Deborah Haley, Halifax, and the answer is a good listener and a good sense of humour is always a bonus. True friendships provide us with memories that we cherish for a lifetime. They help us to grow and become better people. They help us to make a better society. For over 200 years, The Oddfellows has helped its members forge friendships and offered help in times of need. So why not give them a call today on 0800 028 1810 for a free information pack or visit oddfellows.co.uk to find your nearest branch. Everyone's welcome. Now, let me top up my tea, grab some of my friends, and we'll have that wee chat about the story you've just heard. That was A Mysterious Elopement which was first published in The People's Friend in September 1913 and was narrated for us by Features Ed Alex. Um, Alex couldn't join us for this episode, but we do have Lisa from the Features team. Hello, Lisa. Hello. And we have Abby from the Fiction team. Hello, Abby. Hi. And we have Barry from the DC Thompson Archives. Hello, Barry. Hello. So, uh, a mysterious elopement with Robert Radford, not Robert Redford, as we were previously discussing. (laughs) This was in 1913. He was quite old, but I don't think he's that old. (laughs) The first thing that struck me about this story was how much like an episode of Frasier it it seemed to me, or French farce material where the whole thing is based on a quite ridiculous misunderstanding that could be very easily and very quickly cleared up, but no one really bothers. (laughs) Yeah. That's my truncated review of every Frasier episode. Um, <laughs> it's definitely just if you'd stopped to say, hold on a second, what did you mean there? Then the series would be, it wouldn't be very funny, but it would be over a lot quicker. It makes a mockery of the I'm listening catchphrase, doesn't it? <laughs> it's just um, a bit far-fetched. Um, you know, like the, the person shouting out the window, like, you know, should be in his first warning. Um, maybe I shouldn't go into this house, but he goes into the house anyway. You know, the, the bit that I really, I laughed out loud is it kind of has been imprisoned in this room and he's kind of realised that there's no way for him to get out. 
And he's just, instead of going, oh, like being really kind of quite panicked, he's like, oh, what a pickle I find myself in. I, I can't remember what the I line was. I wrote that was. down as well. <laughs> um, so. th- this is getting interesting. I wonder what house of mystery this is that I have landed in. <laughs> like, who would say that if they were in that situation? Robert Radford. I made a note of that as well, Lisa. It's so funny. It's just the fact that he doesn't try to scream yeah, or yeah. he doesn't try at all to get out of this room, which could probably have been quite easy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he just kind of sits there and waits for his fate to catch up to him. And... He doesn't say to any of them, hold on a second, yeah. what are you doing? He just kind of gets bundled into the house and then bundled into this <laughs> cupboard and kind of goes, oh, well, this is this is taking a turn. Yeah. As at the end of the story, he kind of like looks back and, and he's just like, oh, in hindsight, maybe I should have said I'm not that person. I'm like, do you think? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. The man has been wandering the moors for four hours. Anything's an improvement. We've all been there. I've missed the late night train and I would have given my right arm to be kidnapped by Captain Mannering or whoever it is. So I mean, I, I'm, I'm with him on this. He's, he's nice and cosy. Okay, he's had a bit of a rough up, but you know, he's been falling into ditches and it's cold. I'm with Robert. I'm with him. But do you know what? Not only that, not only has he ended up being imprisoned in this strange house and finding himself in these most peculiar of circumstances, he actually also basically apologises for it as well. And he's, he's saying to her, like, oh, just, you know, I have to make it up to you. Like, move in with me. Because you always invite strangers <laughs> to move in with you, don't you? Well, I think that he might. He's a fairly laid back fellow. Yeah. He is <laughs> utterly infl- unflappable. He's brilliant. I love it. <laughs> he cannot be flapped. Yeah. <laughs> I'm starting to suspect that he didn't actually want to do his job. Um, like he, he wasn't really that interested in getting to his destination. He just kind of fell into this adventure and thought, yeah, this I'd rather do this today. <laughs> This'll do. King yeah. of the procrastinators. He just, yeah. You know what happened, boss? Honestly, I would have sold so many of the things that I'm meant to be selling, but <laughs> this funny thing happened on the way to the train station. <laughs> and he also mentions at one point that it's been two hours when they're on the train. Um, he's like, in this whole two hours, you know, I could have mentioned that I'm not actually the person that everyone seems to think that I am, but <laughs> I just I just can't fathom the idea that he didn't get a chance in those two hours. But it just didn't come up. No. Yeah, he just didn't find a, a point in the conversation to bring it up, I suppose. He's polite to a fault. I'm not the kidnapping victim that you meant. <laughs> However, I will just allow you to continue because it's too rude to interrupt. Yeah, um, yeah he is mistaken for someone named Captain Mannering. And I just have a vision of Arthur Lowe. Me too. <laughs> and thinking, is that the guy that they're waiting on? Because I'm not sure that the woman would be particularly <laughs> pleased if Arthur Lowe turned up at her door. I'm imagining that this woman is rather younger and not of Mr. Lowe's vintage, or certainly at the time in Dad's Army's pomp. Oh, Ian, you silly boy. (laughs) I did say in advance of recording this episode, it will degenerate into making Dad's Army gags. (laughs) As well it should. We've we've managed six minutes of this recording uh, without with only one. So I think we're doing quite well. (laughs) I was quite intrigued by your um, your take on this being sort of farcical. And like almost like a, an episode of Frasier, there was actually a short film called A Mysterious Elopement that came out in 1910. Mm. So I wonder, I wonder, I mean, the plots do differ quite, quite greatly, but there are elements of a mistaken identity and kidnapping. So I wonder if it was maybe a, a jumping off point. 
inspiration. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, I, I loved this story. I thought it was a really good Yeah, fun. I enjoyed it too. <laughs> I, I mean, the pace it just rattles along at is fantastic. Yeah, it's completely like unbelievable, but it was it was enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> and how good how good is Peggy? She's just like, right, shin up here, we're going out the window. Uh, like, then the bikes and then onto a moving train. She's she's great. <laughs> I did like that she was sort of leading the whole escape because a lot of the times when we've been reading stories for the podcast, it'll tend to be the other way. It'll be the, the man will be the adventurous one and the woman will be waiting to be rescued. And while she was kind of waiting to be rescued, you kind of also get the impression that she was just waiting for him because immediately she's like, right, we have to get out of here. Let's go. Yeah. I mean, I was a little disappointed. When I first read it, I was a little disappointed in the end when she kind of reverted back to a bit of a damsel in distress and kind of had to mm. throw herself on uh, Robert's mercy. But I guess there was a bit of a quality there. I mean, he, he'd he sort of very much depended on her, even though I don't think he was that bothered about being kidnapped. He was quite happy. <laughs> he was just waiting for his three square meals, I think. Yeah, it's, um, I will see how the service is here before I start objecting too loudly. <laughs> so the one thing that I, I, I was curious about was um, there's a little bit towards the end where it, the, the humour kind of drops slightly, where... Um, Peggy is basically sort of questioning what she's just done because of the violence of this Captain Mannering. Um, he sounds like a wrong'un. I mean, he's already he's not he's not above kidnapping. No, no, that's not Captain Mannering. Captain Mannering's a good guy. Oh no, he's a that's good the guy. guy Sorry, it's um, waiting for. Who, who's, who's the? It's um, Sir Sir somebody or other. Sir George, I think. Sir George, is that who it is? That's yeah. the right one, Sir George. Uh, and is he a military man as well? I'm not sure. I think Peggy's father is a military man and then sir george seems to be from in my head a, a fancy estate nearby <laughs> called the oaks ah uh, is that what that is right yeah <laughs> the oaks that's, mm -hmm. i cannot go back to the oaks now uh, sir george you know how violent he is would almost kill me for the share i've had in the solo i almost had vibes of um another story that we read for the podcast where there's a woman who's been kidnapped i actually thought it was going to go in the same direction as that as when, when i first started reading the modern night errant yes that yes one, that was it does one. resemble that story a little bit and again actually in that story there's quite there's quite a lot of nefarious goings on like the kidnapping bit itself isn't treated like a kind of a gag the way that there was a story we did in season one, the first episode, uh, called A Night Among Robbers, which we spoke about um, in the episode for A Modern Night Errant as well, because it, it involved someone being kidnapped, but it was all a bit jolly and all a bit gentlemanly. And in these last two stories, there's been some real sense of threat about the kidnapping, albeit in this case, kind of laterally after they've had their little Hardy Boys style adventure. I do enjoy the fact that it starts because he gets lost in a field <laughs> as well. It, I think it kind of tells you a lot about his character that he can, he, not only does he miss the train, which is unfortunate, he then wanders about aimlessly in a field for ages and goes, well, that house with the woman screaming out the window, that's going to be better <laughs> than sleeping in the field, right? I'm going to try that. I, I do enjoy the fact that it didn't bother with that kind of preamble that we're used to, I think, with a lot of these stories. And he's, uh, how does it start? as he painfully extracted himself from the ditch. I mean, that's a, what a great way to start. I mean, like you say, it, does, it tells you everything about this guy. <laughs> he's, he's, <laughs> he's a bit of a klutz, he's a bit aimless, he's a bit, a bit adrift, but um, 
I like I like Robert. I think he means well. I think he's a, a, an interesting hero, <laughs> if you can call him that. I think that's a good point, actually, that not a lot of stories that we read here tend to drop you right into the middle of the action like that. There is usually a fairly long preamble, like, this is Robert Radford, this is how he's managed to get here, and then it's like, this is what's happening. Um, whereas this is a bit more immediate. It does still suffer from... <sighs> suffer? It does... The, the thing that happens in a lot of friend stories happens here also where a lot of time is dedicated to the action of the story and then it's wrapped up in five lines at the end and it turns out they got married. It's not a huge surprise though, is it? No. I mean, it's, not, it's not a surprise <laughs> at all. No, you could have probably predicted as you it. Look at, as I'm looking at the page in front of me, I mean, there's a, a lovely little drawing that goes alongside it and even just looking at that, it's like, they're going to end up together. It's, it's not a huge surprise. <laughs> but that's that's half the fun now because we know that's where it's more likely to end. So it makes the journey part of it, you know, that that's the important part. And I think this was just this had a lot of charm, um, enough humor, and yeah, it was nonsense, but you know. But entertaining. Yeah, it was entertaining, and sometimes that's all it needs to be. Entertaining nonsense was another name we considered for the podcast. <laughs> Should have stuck with that. <laughs> um the illustration that accompanies this story is uh sort of reminiscent of Romeo and Juliet. As I well, was about to say the exact same like. thing. Yeah, that, that came to me as well. A slight Rapunzel element to it as well, perhaps. Yeah. Actually, I thought that with the trap door bit, when he's in the he's in the dark room and she opens the trap door and drops a rope down, I thought there was a bit of a Rapunzel vibe to it. <laughs> um, I'll put this, uh, well, someone will put this illustration up on our social media channels and, and you can have a look at it. Yeah, it's a really nice illustration. It'd be it'd be really good for people to see it side by side with the story. Barry, I was going to ask this. This doesn't have a writer attributed to it at all. Um, no. Did you have a nosy around to see if you could figure out who it was? Or? I did, but I mean, it's not the first, and it won't be the last. I don't doubt. Um, as we've discussed previously on the podcast, people have a, a variety of reasons for wishing to remain nameless. I've, I think, speculated previously that something like this, where it doesn't have even initials in it, um, could well be um, a friend's staffer, perhaps. Yeah. It's, it's kind of hard to say. I mean, there could be umpteen reasons, but I just I get the impression that when you get this, and it, by 1913, not to even have initials or, or you know, the pseudonym at the end of a story, it's suggestive to me that it's perhaps a member of the editing staff. Yeah, I mean, it could well be there's stock lying around. I mean, it's, it's hard to say where this would have would have fitted in anywhere else. But I mean, it's a shame because whoever wrote it, I think, should have taken the credit. Really, mm. I would agree. I don't think there's any reason to hide from this story in particular. Oh, no, not at all. But again, um, maybe it's just that anonymity thing that went with being a member of uh, people friends staff at that time. Ironically, there's a there's a bit beneath this that uh, starts what's in a name which <laughs> very well placed we wouldn't be having that kind of anonymity today no no but I mean, you weren't having it even much back then um, I, I had a scout around episode uh, episodes goodness me issues either side and I couldn't see anything else that was unnamed as far as I could tell I tried to name this podcast reading between the lines with Ian McDonald but Angela didn't like it <laughs> What other impressions did we get about the 
I guess the characters in this story are more important than in some other stories that we've had a look at because a lot of this uh, will be centered on plot um, and kind of ignore characters. We've had stories where the characters are kind of interchangeable. Do we feel like Robert is a fully realized character as he bungles about in the fog? And what do we think about Peggy in terms of female characters in The Friend? And we've probably touched on a bit of this already, but I guess in terms of what I was thinking, I I like the space-headedness of Robert because I find it very funny that he just, as Abby was saying in the beginning, I think, um, or uh, Lisa, sorry, he, he just stumbles into situations and doesn't seem to care at no stage. Is he like, oh, this is kind of dangerous or that's a bit weird. He's just like, yeah, that, that thing happened to me. Um, and Peggy's very all action, which is a, a thing that doesn't happen an awful lot in stories in The Friend. Um, so would we say that they're believable characters? I think that they were quite believable from my point of view, but it just, it was quite comical at the same time. Like it was just the way he was talking about her, like kind of getting the two bikes out and, and this whole time that she's getting two bikes out, which like, it's not going to be like the slowest thing you'll ever do, but she can't have been that fast either. And he couldn't have said in that whole time, by the way, I am, you know, I'm not who you think I am. (laughs) Or giving her a hand. That's not very Yeah, I know, exactly. He's just kind of leaving her to get the bikes. And then it's like she's basically described as if she's just like shitting off, like almost as if she's on a motorbike rather than a cycle. I'm like, how fast can this woman be? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's almost comical the way that um you kind of picture him sort of running after her with the bikes. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh running towards the like across the moors. If you had a character that was doing all the things that we're saying he he should have been doing like questioning everything or yelling and screaming and trying to identify himself it would probably take a lot of the humor out he was told not to explicitly told not to every turn shh hush quiet (laughs) and then quick 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 it's like the poor man didn't know where he was coming or going and let's face it i mean if if he'd actually said at the start i'm robert radford there would have been no story so yeah a less mysterious elopement ah finally you're here captain mannering (laughs) nope that's not me ah well on your way it's not the best um reimagining of a story we've had i would have loved to have seen the first meeting between uh his his wife and and his mum and the conversation that happens between them like oh what has he been up to this time <laughs> i bet the, the, the first line between them the, the, the first conversation you found him in a ditch didn't you <laughs> <laughs> the the quiet conversation at the wedding now you do know to lock the door when you leave right because otherwise you've no idea what he's going to get into i'd be very disappointed if we don't see robert radford again the mishaps. I would love that. Me too. That's. I mean, that had to have been a series. Otherwise, they've really missed a trick here. <laughs> He's just a travelling salesman who gets into all sorts of scrapes every week. That'd be amazing. I'd, I'd read those. <laughs> <laughs> Let me guess, Robert. You missed your train again. <laughs> How did you guess? Well, oh, isn't this a jolly pickle? <laughs> it's 1913. The next one would be Robert Radford on the front lines. Good grief. Isn't this a pickle I've got myself into? <laughs> Too soon? It's been, it's been 80 years. It's been a bit more than that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Abby, um, as our resident fiction team member, 
what do you think about if someone had submitted this story for the magazine today what sort of advice would you have given them do you think that you would have accepted it currently as it is or do you think you would have told them to go away and never darken your doorstep again um i think it's a little bit too farcical for what we would print in the magazine these days and the main character would need to have more agency it's nice to see a female character with agency <laughs> as we've read quite a few where back in the day they just didn't have any at all and the language is also quite outdated so we would have to work on that and I think a little bit more development between um, these two characters meeting and then suddenly at the end they're kind of getting married like that <laughs> that transition seems to be missing from the story so maybe something to kind of link the main story to the ending as well. Yeah, something that kind of leads into it would be nice. Um, that, as we've said, that kind of seemed to be missing quite a lot. Or, or maybe like, just I did wonder because this happens so often. I did wonder if that was the default way that subs of the day decided stories should end if they didn't like how they ended, and so they got to a point where they thought, oh, we've not got enough space or I don't like that this happens here. And so they just cut the story off and stick five lines on the end that says, and then they got married and lived happily ever after, <laughs> which would be incredibly imagination free, but it would kind of make sense to me that, you know, every story in a, in a magazine that included about 14 stories, they all end exactly the same way. Do you actually, I mean, we all know where it's going. Do we actually need to hear the proposal. I mean, I think I would like to, I'd love to see him making a mess of that as well, quite <laughs> frankly. But I mean, you get to a point, like you say, I mean, do you need to see the, to see them bended knee? Do you need to know the rest of it? Um, we all know where this is headed. Let's just, yeah, let's whittle it down to the five lines it deserves. We've had our fun. <laughs> they cycled over the moors. They've had a, a jolly jeep. That's that. Do you think that like every story should carry a disclaimer at the start that says, just so you know, they get married at the I, end? I think you just did. <laughs> Maybe we should put that <laughs> put that under the tagline of, of this particular podcast. It does seem to happen in a lot of the stories. Can I, Abby, can I just ask, if this did arrive on your desk today uh, and arrived nameless as this one has, what sort of voice do you hear? Is it male or female? Oh, that's quite a hard one. Considering some of the stories that we've had written by male writers and the female characters in that, I would be inclined to say that this could have been written by a woman mm -hmm. um, just because the female character is so, is kind of the one in charge for most of it. But I sort of don't want to say that. I think it could have been a man or a woman. Actually, when you kind of, when you think about Robert's um, action, when you think about what he does in the story, just sort of floating along and letting things happen to him seems to be a thing that it seems to be a fate uh, for lots of female characters mm. uh, fr from stories of this era in the friend things just happen and they kind of oh yeah and then this uh, okay right and now and they don't tend to do anything about it they just let things happen the way that he does only it's played here i think for a laugh because it is so ridiculous but then maybe we only think it's so ridiculous because he's a guy. If it had been a female character, maybe people reading at the time would have been like, of course, the fairer sex would allow themselves to be kidnapped and then thrown in a cupboard and not really say anything to anybody. That's true. I can see that. Um, that would be an interesting... Actually, 
the story starters that we tend to put on the website for uh, aspiring friend writers, they're put up there to um, provide a jumping off point for people who want to write stories. I think that would be an entertaining one. Consider a story that you're, you want to write and then switch the genders and see what happens. That's actually quite a good idea. It would actually probably make some story ideas a bit more fresh because you can you can kind of get stuck into a kind of gender stereotype sometimes. Right. Uh, I think then we will come to the part of the podcast where we um, rate the stories. So, Abby, what would you give this story as a score out of 10? I think I'll give it a 7 because it is really entertaining. It's probably not something that we would have in the magazine. <laughs> But it is fun to listen to and to read. And I did quite like getting to know the character of Robert Radford. <laughs> Barry, what about yourself? What do you think? I think this is a solid eight. It did exactly what it set out to do. It was entertaining. It was funny. It was a bit ridiculous. And we all knew where it was going, but it had a lot of charm. So an eight from me. Excellent. Uh, and Lisa, what would you say? I agree with Barry. I think an eight as well. I definitely it made me chuckle at bits. Uh, so yeah very entertaining fantastic that's it for this episode so it just remains for me to say thanks to Alex for his narration thanks to Lisa Abby and Barry for joining me for the discussion and thank you for listening and until this wee group of friends gets together again for another story from the friend to you cheerio thanks again for joining us for this episode of reading between the lines Subscribe in your podcast app today so you don't miss our next story, and check our previous episodes for more from the Friend Archives. We would be delighted if you were to recommend this podcast to your friends. If you don't already get The People's Friend, because you listen to Reading Between the Lines, you can now get your first 13 issues for just £6, and that special offer is available until May 31st, 2022. Check the episode notes for details and terms. And for more from The People's Friend, visit thepeoplesfriend.co.uk or find us on Facebook and Twitter. Hasty back. There's a dainty little journal that is read both far and near. It has had a host of rivals, still it stands without a peer. It is bright and entertaining from the first page to the end, and is known to its admirers as the dear old people's friend. A charming little journal is the friend Of good things it is such a happy blend That to read it at your leisure is a pleasure without measure The friend to friends in trouble recommend They won't be happy till they get the friend